Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. Okay, so today we'll finish off chapter 30, Freemasonry and the House of Stuart. There is another word for which the language of Freemasonry has been indebted to this cause. This is Herodom, indifferently spelled in the old rituals Herodem, Heroden, and Herodon. Now the source of this word is not plain, and various attempts have been made to give it some sensible meaning. One writer in the London Freemasons magazine thinks that the word is taken from the Greek heros, or holy, and domos, house, and that it means the holy house, that is, the temple. This explanation is ingenious, and it has been adopted by some recent authorities. Ragon, however, offers a different explanation. He thinks that it is a form of the Latin heredum, meaning a heritage, and that it refers to the Chateau of Saint-Germain, the home for a long time of the exiled Stuarts, and the only legacy left to them. If we accept this view, we should be rather inclined to think that the heritage referred to the great throne of Britain, which they claimed as their lawful possession, and of which, in the opinion of their friends, they had been robbed. This explanation is equally as ingenious and just as likely as the former one. If adopted, it will add another link to the chain of evidence which tends to prove that the high degrees were originally made by Jacobites to advance the cause of the Stuarts. Whatever may be the source of the word, the rituals leave us in no doubt as to what was its pretended meaning. In one of these rituals, that of the Grand Architect, we meet with the following questions and answers. Question. Where was your first lodge held? Answer. Between three mountains, inaccessible to the profane, where cock never crew, lion roared, nor women chattered, in a profound valley. Question. What are these three mountains named? Answer. Mount Moriah in the bosom of the land of Gabaon? Mount Sinai, and the mountain of Herodon. Question. What is this mountain of Herodon? Answer. A mountain situated between the west and the north of Scotland, at the end of the sun's course, where the first lodge of masonry was held, and that terrestrial part which is given name to Scottish masonry. Question. What do you mean by a profound valley? Answer. I mean the tranquility of our lodges. From this catechism, we learn that inventing the word Herodon to mean a fabled mountain situated in some unknown part of Scotland, the author intended to select that kingdom as the birthplace of those Masonic degrees by whose help he expected to raise a powerful support in the success of the designs of the Jacobite party. The selection of this country was a tribute to his own national preferences and to those of his countrymen. By the profound valley, which denoted the tranquility of the lodges, The ritualist probably meant to teach the doctrine that in the hiding places of these Masonic reunions, where none were to be permitted to enter except the well-tried, true, and trusty, the plans of the Jacobites to overthrow the government and to effect the restoration of the Stuarts could be best conducted. Fortunately, for the purity of the non-political character of the Masonic institution, this doctrine was not generally accepted by the Freemasons of Scotland. There is something else concerning this word Herodon in its connection with Stuart Freemasonry that is worth attention. 
One order of Freemasonry popular in Scotland and in the United States is called the Royal Order of Scotland and has two degrees entitled Harridan of Kilwinning and Rosy Cross. The first is said in the traditions of the order to have originated in the reign of David I in the 12th century, and the second to have been instituted by Robert Bruce, who revived the former and put the two into one order, of which the King of Scotland was forever to be the head. This tradition is, however, attacked by Brother Lyon in his History of the Lodge of Edinburgh. He denies that the Lodge at Kilwinning ever at any period practiced or acknowledged other than the craft degrees, or that there exists any tradition, loyal or national, worthy of the name, or any trustworthy document yet discovered that can in the least degree be held to identify Robert Bruce with the holding of Masonic courts or the institution of a secret society at Kilwinning. The paternity of the royal order, he says, is now pretty generally attributed to a Jacobite knight named Andrew Ramsay, a devoted follower of the pretender and famous as the fabricator of certain rites, inaugurated in France about 1735-40, to and through the propagation of which it was hoped the fallen fortunes of the Stuarts would be retrieved. On September 24, 1745, soon after the commencement of his, the invasion of Britain, Charles Edward, the son of the old pretender, or Chevalier St. George, styled by his followers James III, is said to have been admitted into the Order of Knights Templar, and to have been elected its Grand Master, a position which he held until his death. Such is the tradition. Here again we are met by the statements of Brother Lyon that Templarism was not brought into Scotland until the year 1798. If that claim be true, it is impossible that Charles Edward could have been made a Templar in Edinburgh in 1745. Of course, the Jacobites may have accorded him official control over any high degrees prepared in the interest of his family. Indeed, it is not unlikely, as has been affirmed, that resting his claim on the ritual provision that the kings of Scotland were by reason of that position the Grand Masters of the Royal Order, he had taken that title. In the year 1747, more than 12 months after his return from his unlucky invasion of Scotland and England, Charles Edward is said to have issued a charter for the formation at the town of Arras in France of what is called, in the document, a sovereign primordial chapter of Rose Croix under the distinctive title of Scottish Jacobite. The Count de Hamel, prefect of the department in which Arras is situated, discovered in 1853 a copy of the charter in the departmental archives. The young pretender, or someone professing to act for him, gives his Masonic titles in this document as follows. We, Charles Edward, King of England, France, Scotland, and Ireland, and as such, substitute Grand Master of the Chapter of H, known by the title of Knight of the Eagle and Pelican, and since our sorrows and misfortunes by that of Rose Croy, etc. The initial letter H undoubtedly means the Scottish chapter of Harridan. Of this body, by its ritual regulation, his father, as King of Scotland, would have been the Grand Master, and the son, therefore, only takes the less exalted title of substitute. Why the title of King in the Charter is given to the young pretender is worth study. The father did not die until 1766, and surely the son would not claim to be King 19 years before that date. A clumsy forger might make such blunders. The precise officials of a royal court were unlikely to do so. We are unable to see that this charter settles the question that it was the Royal Order of Scotland and not of the Knights Templar that Charles Edward was made the Grand Master, or himself assumed the Grand Mastership during his visit in 1745 to Edinburgh. But that order and the other high degrees might have been made by the Jacobites to promote the interest of his cause. Then his acceptance, or his taking of the rank and functions of a presiding officer, was a recognition of the plan to use Freemasonry as a political instrument, and is, in fact, the first and basic point in the history of the claims made for Stuart Freemasonry. 
we here for the first time get some showing that there was an attempt to connect the institution of Freemasonry with the fortunes and political efforts of the Stuarts. But there is an old proverb that where there is smoke, there is fire. While the charter may be irregular in form, the object may be direct enough. The title given to this charter at Arras is evidence that its design was really political. The words Echos Jacobite, or Scottish Jacobite, were at that period universally accepted as a party name to designate a very loyal friend of the Stuart claims to the throne of England. The charter also shows that the organization of this chapter was intended only as the beginning of a plan to enlist other Freemasons in the same political design. The members of the chapter were authorized not only to make knights, but even to create a chapter in whatever town they might think proper. This they are on record as doing in a few instances, among them one at Paris in 1780, which in 1801 was united to the Grand Orient of France. A year after the starting of the chapter at Arras, the rite of Vale Brew, or the faithful Scottish Freemasons, was created at Toulouse in grateful memory of the reception given by the Freemasons of that place to Sir Samuel Lockhart, the military assistant of the pretender. Ragon says that the favorites who came with his prince to France were in the habit of selling to certain speculators charters for mother lodges, patents for chapters, etc. These titles were their property, and they did not fail to use them as the means of earning a living. A long-accepted assertion in Masonic history was that the first lodge established in France by a warrant from the Grand Lodge of England was set at work in the year 1725. There is no doubt that a lodge of Freemasons met in that year at the house of one Hure, and that it was presided over by the Earl of Derwentwater. But the studies of Brother Hugen have proved that this was what we would now call a clandestine or irregular body, and that the first French lodge legally established by the Grand Lodge of England was in 1732. Outside the fact that there is no record in that Grand Lodge of England of any lodge in France at the early date of 1725, it is most unlikely that a warrant would have been granted to so obvious a Jacobite as Derentwater. Political reasons of the greatest weight at that time would have forbidden any such action. Charles Radcliffe, with his brother the Earl of Derwentwater, had been arrested in England for the part taken by them in the uprising of 1715 to place James III on the throne. They were both sentenced to death, and the Earl was executed, but Radcliffe made his escape to France, where he assumed the title which, as he claimed, had come to him by the death of his brother's son. In the later rebellion of 1745, having tried to join the young pretender, the vessel in which he sailed was captured by an English warship, and being carried to London, he was beheaded in December 1746. The Earl of Derwentwater was therefore a devoted Jacobite, a condemned rebel who had been sentenced to death for his treason, a fugitive from the law, and a pensioner of the old pretender or chevalier St. George, who, by the order of Louis Fourteenth, had been proclaimed King of England under the title of James III. We shall find it difficult to believe that the Grand Lodge of England would have granted to him and to his Jacobite associates a warrant for the establishment of a lodge. Its statutes had declared in very plain words that a rebel against the state was not to be supported in his uprising, but no greater approval could have been given than to make him the master of a new lodge. Such, however, was a long universally accepted as a part of the reliable history of Freemasonry in France. In the words of a modern writer, the story was too ridiculous to be believed, so everybody believed it. Nevertheless, we may accept as a fact that in 1725, an English lodge was really opened and held in the house of an English confectioner named Hewer. Without regular authority, it was perhaps organized, although we have no records to that effect, through the advice and instructions of Ramsey, and was a Jacobite lodge consisting solely of friends of the old pretender. 
Probably this is the most evident instance that we have of the connection of the Stuarts with Freemasonry. It was an effort made by the followers of that house to enlist the order as a means of restoring its fallen fortunes. The principal members of the lodge were Derwentwater, Masculine, and Hugertly, or Hugerty. Of Derwentwater, we have already spoken. The second was evidently a Scotchman, but the name of the third has been so entangled by its French form that we are unable to trace it to its source. It has been supposed that the real name was Haggerty, if so, it was probably an Irishman, but they were all Jacobites. The right of strict observance, which at one time in the 18th century took so strong a hold upon the Freemasons of Germany, and whose main doctrine was that of Ramsey, that Freemasonry was only an outcome of the Templar system, is said to have been originally erected in the interest of the Stuarts, and that Brotherhood was expected to give freely to the efforts in favor of the pretender. After a review of all that has been written on this very complex subject, the theories oftentimes altogether foggy, misty assumptions in places of facts, guesses often very wild and frequently wide of the mark, and the grains of history in this vast amount of traditional and mythical trash so small, we may be safe in offering a few conclusions. We dare say that at one time the political efforts of the friends of the dethroned and exiled family of the Stuarts did exercise a very considerable effect on the outward form and the internal spirit of Freemasonry as it existed on the continent of Europe. The symbolic degrees of ancient craft Freemasonry felt the influence but slightly. It extended only to a political view of the legend of the master's degree. Here the beheading of Charles I and forced giving up of the kingdom and the exile of James II was sometimes put in the place of the fate of Hiram and to a change in the substitute word so as to apply the phrase the widow's son to the child of Henrietta Maria, formerly the wife of Charles I. The effect of these changes, except that of the word, which still continues in some rites, has long since worn away, but their memory still remains as a relic of the incidents of Stuart Freemasonry. Perhaps the principal influence of this policy was shown in the making of what are called the high degrees, the haute grades of the French. Until the year 1728, these additions to the body of Freemasonry were unknown. The Chevalier Ramsay, the tutor of the pretender in his childhood, and by many supposed very naturally to be his earnest friend and warm supporter, is often credited to be a pioneer in shaping these degrees, although other inventors were not slow in following up the work. If these degrees were at first created solely to institute a form of Freemasonry which should be worked for the purpose of restoring the pretender to the throne of his ancestors, most of them became useless as their need ceased, and their names alone are preserved in the catalogues of collectors. But their effect is to this day seen in such of them as still remain and are practiced in existing rites, which have been derived indirectly from the system invented in the chapter of Clermont or the Chateau of Saint-Germain. The particular design is passed away, but the general features still remain, by which we are able to recognize what so many have believed to be the remains of Stuart Freemasonry. We must reject the notion that James II had any connection with it. However unfitted he may have been by his peculiar makeup from entering into any such bold plans, the question is set at rest by the simple fact that up to the time of his death there was no widespread Masonic organization upon which he or his friends could have acted to advantage. His son, the Chevalier St. George, was almost in the same position. He is described in history as a prince, pious, pacific, and without talents, incapable of being made the leading actor in such a drama. Besides, speculative Freemasonry had not assumed the proportions necessary to make it available as a part of conspiracy until long after he had retired from active life to the practice of religious and hermit habits in Rome. 
But his son, Charles Edward, the young pretender as he was called, was of a lively type, an active genius having a fair amount of talent, and a spirit of enterprise which well fitted him to accept the place given him by the Jacobite makers at rituals. Freemasonry had then begun to excite public attention and was already an institution that was rapidly gaining ground. They probably saw in it what was deemed a fitting lever to be used in the raising of the royal exile to the throne, and Prince Charles Edward would not have been human did he not welcome these attempts to do his utmost to make use of them. Thus we must credit the invention of Stuart Freemasonry, the foundations of which began to be laid down early in the 18th century, perhaps with the quiet approval of the old pretender. Finally, the workings of the system were fully developed when the young pretender began his unsuccessful career in search of a throne, which once lost was never to be recovered. This attempt to connect Freemasonry with the fortunes of the Stuarts was the first effort to introduce politics into the institution. To the credit of its character as a school of speculative philosophy, the project proved a single failure. The subject cannot be left here without asserting that Prince Charles Edward's relations to Freemasonry, or indeed those of Ramsay himself, are not any too well established. That the friends of both were Masonically active is a fair assumption. Brother Gould also points points out an excuse for our inability to connect the prince actively with the craft. He says, It is affirmed, and with perhaps the greater share of reason, that the prince was compelled by the altered circumstances of his cause to repudiate any relations with Freemasonry. And that concludes Chapter 30, Freemasonry in the House of Stuart. Thanks, as always, for listening. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.